Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre, all the sorrows grow on your wail. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm. Fireside. Hello, and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore and mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the story itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan, and I am your host and your Fireside bard. I do apologise, that was a very sudden, loud introduction, but... Let's go with it. Let's keep let's keep the energy going. It is episode five. I'm so delighted with that. That's great. That's a grand number. That's that's a block. That's we're almost at like we're almost at like a full season of uh, of British comedy. It is time for another folk tale. Our folk tale today is called "The Man Who Had No Story." It is also the original version of it is called "Far Darig in Donegal." This is a story that I read. And because because its title at the end of it kind of seemed to have nothing to do with the story, it made it very hard for me to find it again. But I'm really glad I did find it again because I love this story. And I hope you enjoy my interpretation. I'll, I'll chat a bit more after it once I've finished. But here it is, The Man Who Had No Story on Fireside. <laughs> the Man Who Had No Story There was once a travelling salesman called Pat Diver. Pat Diver had a reasonably lucrative operation where his wife would knit socks and stockings and Pat would take them to the markets and fairs all over Ireland to sell them. One day, Pat had to travel to a market that was very far away. He couldn't make it back home before dark and it was far too dangerous for him to travel at night on his own. So Pat Diver went looking for lodgings. He had done this many times before, but on this particular night... He knocked on house after house, and every time he was turned away, even though he had money in his pocket to pay his way. Almost at the verge of giving up, Pat Diver saw one more house up ahead of him along the road. It looked large and spacious, with a barn attached. Surely there'll be room for a little old sock seller like myself, thought Pat to himself. So Pat Diver knocked on the door of the house, and the door opened of its own accord. Pat thought nothing of this and he stepped inside. He approached the roaring fire to warm himself. This is when he saw that by the fire in a large armchair was sitting a little old woman. Oh, I'm so sorry. I I knocked on the door and and it opened, so I let myself in. That was quite rude of me. That's all right, young man, said the woman. My name's Pat Diver, the Pat Diver, the travelling sock salesman. And I don't come here to sell you my wares. I come looking for accommodation. 
I, I can sell you my wares too if you're looking for some socks or stockings, but a, a bed is what I really need. And, uh, of course, I can pay you. There'll be no need for socks or money here, Pat Diver. We've plenty of room, and you're more than welcome to stay. Wow, that is very kind of you, said Pat. Is there anything I can do for you to, to show you my thanks? Actually, there is. There is nothing on this earth I love more than stories. Why don't you sit down by the fire there and tell me one of yours? That will be more than sufficient payment. Pat looked embarrassed. Um, I'm afraid I'm, I'm not a very good storyteller. I'm good with socks and the selling of them, but I've, I've never really been one for stories. I suppose you could say, I have no story. Get out, said the old woman. What? said Pat Diver. Get out of my house. No one who has no story is welcome here. Get out, Pat Diver. Get out! Pat was shocked, but did as he was told. He collected his socks and he left the house. Because he had just been beside a roaring fire, the outside was even more bitter when he returned to it. He couldn't face the road again, so he looked around and he saw the barn that was attached to the house. There's no chance that little old lady is checking the barn again with this cold. Maybe the look of this little old sock seller is turning around at last. Pat Diver went into the barn, climbed up a ladder to the higher ground and nestled himself beneath a bed of hay. But just as he was finally relaxed and felt himself begin to drift off, Pat Diver heard a crashing sound beneath him. Pat looked through the cracks in the barn floor and saw four tall and slender men below. The thud he had heard was them dropping a dead body, which the four men were now gathered around. Pat was terrified, but he didn't make a sound. The four men then began to build a fire, after which they constructed a spit, tied the body to it, and lit the fire. One of the men then began to turn the spit, slowly cooking the body. Shortly after, the turner turned to the others and said, I'm tired of turning. It's your turn to turn. Another said, What about Pat Diver? He's pretending to be asleep in the hay up there. He hasn't taken his turn. Pat Diver's heart sank. Come down, Pat Diver. Trembling, Pat descended the ladder and stood before the four men. Each was twice as tall as he was. We want you to turn the spit for us. Slowly and consistently. If you successfully cook our dinner, we'll let you go. If you burn it, we'll cook you as a replacement. The terrified sock salesman dutifully began to turn the spit. He had no experience of this means of food preparation, but evidently he showed some competence at it, for, satisfied that their meal would soon be ready, the four men went off to find something to drink. As soon as the four men left, Pat Diver thought his nightmare was nearly over. But then the spit split down the middle and the half-cooked dead body fell onto the fire and erupted into flames. Rather than wait around to see what would be done to him when his captors returned to see the damage, Pat Diver ran for his life. Pat ran as hard and as fast as he could for as long as he could until he fell short of breath. But as his pace began to slow down, Pat saw a drain that was overgrown with tall grass. Thinking he'd be safe there until morning, he dove into the long grass and lay still. 
but he wasn't there five minutes before he heard the sound of heavy footsteps again. Pat trembled as he watched the four tall, slender men walk by, with one of them carrying the burnt corpse. The carrier threw the body down beside the drain. I'm wrecked. I'm fed up with carrying this. It's your turn. Another said, What about Pat Diver? He's hiding over there in that drain. He hasn't taken his turn. Come out, Pat. Without saying anything, Pat Diver crept out of the long grass and slung the dead body over his back and followed the four men. They led Pat Diver a mile or so down the road until Pat was ready to drop from exhaustion under the weight of the burnt corpse. They took a right and entered what Pat immediately realised was a graveyard. He thought he had known fear up to this point, but when they entered that graveyard, Pat felt every part of him tremble. He was told he could put down the body, and the four men began to dig a grave. With his last ounce of courage, Pat thought he'd try and escape one more time. So while the men were distracted with digging the grave, Pat slipped away and climbed up a big hawthorn tree and hid on the highest branch. The four men below began to grumble with aches in their arms and shoulders. One said, I hate digging. I'm not digging anymore. What about, what about Pat Diver? shouted Pat Diver as he jumped from the tree. I suppose you knew I was up in the tree too. Well, I might as well save you the trouble. One of the men said, Actually, Pat, I thought you were behind one of the graves, but thanks all the same. Off you go. Defeated Pat Diver continued digging the grave until it was the right width and depth. He dug until it was morning, but as the sun began to rise, a strange thing happened. The four men looked in horror at the light coming over the horizon and turned to each other. One said, We must go. Another turned to Pat and said, you're a lucky man, Pat Diver. If the sun wasn't coming over that hill, we'd have buried you with that body. The four men ran away. Pat Diver collapsed on the spot. His heart would not stop beating rapidly for days to come. All he wanted was to return home to his wife. But then a terrible thought came into his head. My wife. The socks. I left the socks in the barn. After all that's happened... I can't return home with no money and no socks. So Pat Diver had to walk all the way back the way he had come. By the time he reached the big old house of the little old lady, it was nearly night once again. The little old woman was standing at the door when he arrived. Looking for these, said the old woman, holding a big bag of socks in her hand. I am indeed. You look as white as a ghost. What's happened to you since I saw you last? Pat Diver told the old woman everything that had happened. When he finished, the old woman smiled. What luck, Pat Diver. You finally have a story to tell. Come in, warm yourself by the fire and get a good night's sleep. You are most welcome here. Pat knew his wife would be worried where he was, but he was too exhausted to refuse the offer of a fire and a bed. That night, Pat Diver had the best sleep of his life. But when he woke up, he was lying in an empty field, with nothing but his bag of socks beside him. The house, the barn, and the little old woman had all vanished. 
Pat Diver gathered up his things and returned home. Even though he now had a story to tell, he would never tell of this night again. For who'd believe him? The End That is the story of the man who had no story. I hope you enjoyed it. This is one... This is this is a story from the that I found from the WB Yeats uh, book of fairy and folk tales itself, a collection of many of various different folklorists uh, gathering stories. Uh, so the name of the folklorist who created this was uh, Letitia McClintock, which is a great name. I haven't been able to find a whole heap of information about her, unfortunately, but I know she lived in the mid-1800s, like kind of a lot of them when the early days, like around the Thomas Crofton Croker time when uh, these stories were really starting to gain their first momentum even before the Gaelic revival, before Yeats and Lady Gregory really, and Douglas Hyde really brought them uh, to the forefront. But it's... It's two. There's two main versions that I'm drawing from and, and a third one in a, in a way almost... Um, so in the the fairy and folktale book in the eighth book, this is seems to be the original version of this, uh, which is called Faradharic in Donegal. Um, I haven't called it that because I'm not really sure who the Faradharic is supposed to be. I imagine it's supposed to be the four men. It might also be. It's surely not Pat Diver itself because the Faradharic, like a red man, is is a fairy, like red, red being the the colour of magic and the colour that all fairies used to wear, like Meros had red caps, leprechauns had red coats before they turned, were turned green by Disney. Um, But the man who had no story is almost, it's a more, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous name, but it's a great name for it. It's, uh, you know, it is like, it's almost like someone slagging the idea of an Irish folk story, you know, did you not hear about the man who had no story? But that's that's part of why I love it. But in the original version, in uh, Macklintock's version, Pat Diver is a tinker, um, and he goes around with his with his tin, traveling around Ireland, you know, fixing tins and fixing kettles and pots. And I didn't want I didn't want to make him a tinker. I just like I'm, there'll definitely be stories. There are a lot. There are a lot of folk tales and a lot of folk stories about tinkers. I suppose first and foremost because they travel around. You know, the, these are the they're the adventurers. They're the ones who have. Um, they're the ones who have these strange encounters happen to them because they're the ones on the road the whole time and they're the ones telling the stories and collecting the stories, but just. In Ireland, just with with tinker being used as such a derogatory term for a member of the traveling community, I just it, I I can't disassociate it with that. Um, it 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 just feels like I'm perpetuating a stereotype, an Irish stereotype, as well as much as a as a stereotype of the traveling community. So, especially when there was another version, um, I wanted to distance myself from it being about a tinker. For reasons, for those kind of reasons, but in uh, 
so Sean O'Sullivan's book, so the former head of the Irish Folklore Commission, his book, Folk Tales of Ireland, simple enough name, I found, I was looking through, uh, that's the most recent book I got, and I was looking through a list of the names, because that's, that's how I've been gathering these stories, is getting these big, massive tomes, which obviously can't really go start to finish a lot of the time, because um, not all of them are great. I have my hand on the heart, and not all of them are good, and a lot of them are good, but need uncovering, you know. But I just saw on the list of stories uh, in the section, The People of the Other World, a story called The Man Who Had No Story. And I thought, well, this this is obviously the same story. And it is, but it's a very different version of it. Um, so far, Darrigan Donegal is obviously set in Donegal. Um, this isn't set in Donegal. It's about a sock salesman. That is not my invention. I wish it was. It's about a sock salesman named Rory O'Donoghue. Is it to, this is this is a really interesting thing in in Irish in Irish folk tales, and I'm sure they are. So in Philip Pullman's book, his book on grim fairy tales, in his introduction, um, he talks about like the stock characters of folk tales. You know that they're they're very rarely named. Um, it's usually a job, so it's 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 a tailor or a prince or a king or a queen. Or if they have names, they're usually very, you know, stock names. So, like, there's loads of grim tales that's about a Hans or obviously Hansel and Gretel, very, be very common names or certainly were common then. Um, just in the same way that uh, most British folk tales are about a Jack. Um, Jack is the, the Hans is the, the stock character name in British folk tales. So Irish Irish folklore doesn't really have uh, a stock. Thankfully, it's not Paddy, even though this character's name is Pat. Um, they're all really, really specifically named, which is even more interesting when you find different versions of the same story. You know, fair enough, it was one name if it's the only version of the story and that's what the person's name was attributed to. But this is the same story. It's a different version of the same story and... It's about to- it's about two totally different, but so specifically named. So I took I kept Rory O'Donoghue's job of the sock salesman because my imagination just went wild with that. I loved I loved that so much, but I kept the name Pat Diver because what a name it is. And this is this is I suppose where the third version of this story can comes into us because I. A few weeks ago, maybe even, no, it was only, maybe a couple of months ago, yeah, myself, uh, when I was doing a lot of the development for this podcast, myself and my girlfriend went to, we went to the Leprechaun Museum. Because I, as an Irishman living in Dublin, had never been to the Leprechaun Museum because of the bad, the bad rep that uh, leprechauns get and how much we're, we're just called, like, it, it, it just, the name alone, like, just the Irish Leprechaun Museum, you know, it seemed like it was very much for for tourists who want to perpetuate that uh, that cultural stereotype of us all being leprechauns. Um, and from any of the pictures that I've seen of people being there, it seemed to just be a big chair. Like So, like, if anyone's, if anyone's not familiar with the Leprechaun Museum, there is a room in it that the only pictures you ever really see from it 
is a room of giant furniture. So big armchair, big table, big other chair, big fireplace. And the gag of the room is you go in there and look how big this furniture is. I feel small. I feel like a leprechaun. Gas. That sounded like the worst nightmare to me. Um, and I hated that. And I, I assumed it was really expensive. And I hated the idea of tourists paying all of this. And that was what they got. Of course, I was very wrong about that experience. And to be fair, it was my girlfriend had gone on a day tour of the Leprechaun Museum before and she had said it's actually great and that like it's really about it's more generalized about folklore. It's not like specifically just about the Leprechaun. So I, she wore me down and especially when I was developing this, uh, I say wore me down like she was convinced. She convinced me. But as I was uh, developing this podcast, I thought, okay, we should go. We should go before I start recording this. Um, and so I looked online to book tickets to it and I saw that uh, on Fridays and Saturdays, certainly Fridays, maybe Saturday, yeah, I think it's Fridays, Friday and Saturday nights, uh, the Leprechaun Museum does uh, does an evening, does a does an an an, an over eighteens uh, evening of like stories from like the dark side of Irish folklore. So this was, of course, incredibly fascinating to me. I thought, well, we have to go on this, and it was it was months before we were able to find like a Friday where we could both do it. Um, but once we did, we went because. Even in all my reading up to that point from of folklore and mythology, I was fascinated as to what could make it so specifically over 18. Because it was very specific about that, that it was 18 plus. And I thought, what is this going to be, this, this Quentin Tarantino version of Irish folklore that we're going to see? And they do a few of them. They do a few of them a night um, on the Fridays and the Saturdays. So we booked a time. It's literally only one of two times that were left. Like it, it seems to be quite popular and very deservedly so. I have to say, after having been there, so we went eight or half eight, I think, um, and we went in, and you're led into a little small room that has like glass cases filled of like tiny, tiny leprechaun clothes and a box of Lucky Charm cereal, and um, <laughs> it wasn't a great start, but. <laughs> Uh, then our tour guide came in and he was this absolutely wild, mental-looking chap. Uh, big, thick hair, black curly hair. And he very much blustered in and was like, right, lads, you know, here we go. And he was he was brilliant. He was a man so suited for the job he had. And I hope he has as much job satisfaction as he seemed to have uh, by... A fun fact, he was also... He, he was from Bray, Um I found that out because obviously he went round to everyone. He's like, where are we from? You know, America, 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 somewhere else, mostly America. And then he came to myself and my girlfriend. She said Dublin. And I said Wicklow. I said, whereabouts? I said Wicklow Town. I said, I'm from Bray. Uh, I went to school in Bray. So we talked about how uh, we talked about Bray for a bit, which is always great. It's always great to talk about Bray in front of tourists, especially those who haven't been there. Um, it is, it's a, it can be a rough spot, but... I went to school there for four years and it will always be a very special place to me uh, being a Wicklow man as well. So this lad got going. Um, I 
I am terribly sorry that I have forgotten his name. I know it, like there's a Govnu in there somewhere. It had a really proper Irish name, and Govnu because Govnu uh, is one of the gods of the two of the Dan, and he was the smith, and that name Govnu means smith, and so that was he knows who I'm talking about anyway. Um, and if you are there, you'll definitely recognise this guy straight away. Curly haired, black curly haired dude. Uh, really knows his stuff and really, really goes for it. And it very quickly became apparent that he was very open about this. That the reason we would, uh, the reason it was over 18s was that he could openly swear and swear he did, which was great. And you could tell some of the some of the more sensitive maybe American tourists weren't as as okay with the with the language, but it was great that he could just relax and really just go for it, you know, and tell the best version of all these stories. So we went around, and he led us into the big room, uh, the room I was expect, the big room with the big furniture, and this was the room I was expecting. Ah, uh, this is this is going to be great. But he just said, "Right, I'm going to leave you for five minutes, so I'll be back." So he left. There was a group of about fourteen or fifteen of us, I'd say. And he said, right, I'm going to go off and just leave you to your own devices for five minutes. And the age range, like I was, myself and my girlfriend were probably on the younger age range. Like it went up to like middle, middle age, like parents or I don't know if they're parents, but like a, a group of Americans, like in their mid, mid to like 40s, maybe I'd say that's where it was capped. But an astonishing thing happened when a group of adults were left to their own devices, unattended, in a room full of giant furniture. Everyone just became children. And it was incredible. And yeah, we all climbed on it. We all climbed up on the on the furniture. I got a great, like, perspective is actually hilarious. I got a great picture of my girlfriend on one of the tables and chairs. And she does look tiny. I'll admit that. It worked. I was, the the perspective thing got me and I had a ball and I really enjoyed it. But he took us through different rooms and he told us different stories, told us about different fairies and all like most, most of the stuff was was stuff I had learned already. I had read, but it was great. It was great to hear it reinforced, especially since before starting this, it was great to hear the stories again to be going, oh, so these are the stories that are considered good if these are the stories that they're telling on this tour. Um, and he, so, he told a couple of the ones that I've told. He he told the story about Nuda's arm that we talked about last week. Nuda's arm getting cutting off and being the silver arm that was replaced. Um, but towards the end, he led us into this room that was like a dark forest. And we all sat on uh, wood. And it was around like this, like fairy well and all. And I mean, I'm really like, I hope I'm not short selling it because like, it, like everything about it, like maybe it is just because I was into this stuff, you know, but everything that seemed cliche or tacky beforehand it just works it's i think it's a really well done tour um and no they are not a sponsor of this podcast i actually hope they could be um they would be a brilliant sponsor to have and obviously appropriate if they have a quieter time during the summer or during the winter months that i could i could happily plug them because it is a really great tour um but our our guide, our tour, our our Shanaki, our storyteller, began to tell us the story of it was really dark and we all sit around. And he started telling us the story of Pat Diver. And I had read the story, but I to be honest, it hadn't leapt off the page like some of the other ones have, like the wonderful tune had or anything. Um 
But just as I heard him say it out loud and it was dark and just the name Pat Diver, Pat Diver over and over again. And he'd say Pat sometimes, mostly he'd say Pat Diver. And just the name stuck with me so much and it suddenly made the story alive hearing it out loud. So I said, oh no, that's, that immediately went down as one of the stories I, I, had, to, I had to adapt and I had to tell. Um, so thank you to that tour guide. I'm sorry I've forgotten your name. I must look it up to see if I can find it. I hope to chat about it again. He'd be actually someone who'd be interesting to have as a guest on this. We can talk about that again. But yeah, no, over like I I haven't been on the day tour in the Leprechaun Museum, but I, I highly, I highly recommend this night tour, this over 18s tour. It isn't really over 18s, it just has a lot of swearing in it. So that's it, that's just only if you're uncomfortable. I don't know if you're ID'd at it or anything. We certainly weren't. But yeah, no doubtedly the the biggest thing that's hurting the Leprechaun Museum is that it's called the Leprechaun Museum. But what else could you call it? If it had, it was called the Irish Folklore Museum, it just wouldn't attract the same business that it does. Unfortunately, for better or for worse, the Leprechaun is the face of, of, of Ireland. <laughs> and who knows, maybe we can change that. But, and there's definitely a lot of negative connotations, but... Uh, you know, cut the cut the leprechaun some slack. Um but yeah, I highly recommend their their over eighteens tour. But so yeah, the Pat Diver thing stuck with me, so I had to the name because obviously it's not an Irish name, like Rory O'Donoghue and the other version, like that's an Irish name and they all seem to be very Irish names. And then this name Pat Diver. I I tried to look it up to see like was this a name that I found like a pat like a pat something else who was a diver, but then if you type in pat diver, it's really just the Macklintock edition of this story that comes up because all of these are obviously in public domain now. Um, so I attempted to con- to combine the two. Um, in the O'Sullivan version, in the Rory O'Donoghue version, that's where this. The sock salesman thing, I kind of kept the beginning and the end of the sock salesman um, t- storyline because it's actually much shorter. In the in the, Sean O'Sull- in the Roy O'Donoghue version, um, Roy O'Donoghue's selling his socks, uh, goes to a house, there's a man and a woman there, um, and it becomes kind of this Beauty and the Beast thing where... <laughs> Like, uh, he goes in, he's like, right, we can sit down and, and the plates all start coming off the shelves and the food starts making itself and it's very much this big BR guest scene and they all dine and they all have food and Pat Divers, Rory O'Donoghue rather is ready to go to bed and then your man says, tell me a story and uh, he says, uh, no, uh, I can't, I don't have, don't have any stories and your man tells him to get out. Uh Roy O'Donoghue goes down the road, sees the four men, but they're just gathered around cooking meat. Um, And they ask him to turn the meat and it falls in the fire, it burns, he runs back, he runs back to the house and the man says, now you have a story to tell. If, If you'd had a story like that, come in and settle down. And then goes to bed and when he wakes up, the house is gone. So I love the idea of the house being gone. I love the connection between the old man or the old woman, in, in my case, um, being being integral to it. But there wasn't. there's not even nearly as much of the four men, and the four men are so interested. The idea of these four long, tall, slender men 
it's something that I haven't seen other places because for the most part, fairies are really small or like then there's giants. But these don't, these aren't described as giants or ogres. These are tall, slender men. These are like, in my head, they seem like they're elves, like they're like Lord of the Rings kind of elves, really tall. Um, but there is this very slender man uh, Tim Burton vibe that I get. I imagine these really elongated, really, really thin uh, people like I'd be interested to see what what other people imagine like as they were reading or as they heard me talking about it but then from the other version from uh, McClintock's version that focuses more on on the fellas themselves but the ending the ending is a bit different uh, the ending I like and I was torn without end but I think I do prefer the ending I went to I went with and that has yeah, everything that happens. He burns the body. He runs, hides it in the drain, has to carry the drain. They're digging the grave. The sun comes up. He goes off. But then it cuts to like a few weeks or a few months later and Pat Diver is at a fair tinkering away and one of the slender men comes over to him and he says like he's in a show and is the town where, where Pat Diver tries to get lodgings in where the old man and the old woman live uh, and where he's re- where he's kicked out of but he never returns to that house in this version but he's at this fair and this one of these tall slender men walks over to him and he says how's it going Pat Diver and Pat Diver doesn't remember him he says sorry I, I don't believe we've met and your man leans over to him and said uh, do you not know me Pat Diver when you return to Inishone you'll have a story to tell so just it is very interesting this idea of these four men being external to the old man and the old woman the old man and the old woman just genuinely are a couple who like stories and they kick them out for that that there's no otherworldly incentive there and that for whatever reason that these four men have heard this or know what's going on because obviously they know where he is at all times but I much prefer the idea of uh, it being this this a plan of this little old lady living in her big house and her way of getting stories and making people have stories is incredible. I found out, I don't know if I said it before, it's a, it was apparently bad luck to tell stories during the day in Ireland. Which again, it's delicious. It's a delicious fact that stories were very much this nighttime thing. And an issue, maybe not, no, like something that's been slightly problematic um, with some of the stories that have been read. Like some of them get off to are really, really interesting, and they they get off to a great start, but then they kind of end. There's no, there's no actual plot. There's no beginning, middle, and end. They just like establish this thing, and then it's over. Because for the most part, the lesson, the moral of these stories, and the reason that they were told was basically just like don't mess with fairies. And that's just it every time. It's like there is a person, a fairy comes into their life, the fairy ruins everything. Don't mess with fairies. That's that's it. Rather than, um, you know, they're being actual integral to plot. And now, like, of course, loads of them do have this and everything and loads of them did become stories in their own right. But I've read so many, like, beginnings of stories that I thought were going to be really good and then they just kind of end. But I love about this story uh, the man who had no story is that the lesson is uh, of having having your own tale to tell. I love that. I think we'll wrap it up there. 
I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, it's great. It's been one of my favourites, favourite stories. And I hope you enjoyed the chat a bit after that. I feel we're hopefully getting our groove now. I've been saying that for a while, but I think we are finding our feet. Um, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Next week, we have my favourite character of the mythological cycle of Irish mythology, my man, Lou. Uh, we're going to talk about the coming of Lou and things really... Once Lou arrives, he doesn't really go away again, so I can't wait for you all to meet him. Those who those who are familiar with Lou will know exactly what I'm talking about. Those who aren't familiar, I can't wait for you to meet him and for me to talk about him. So next time we'll return for episode six. That's incredible. Yeah, it'd be great. Thanks again to the Headstuff Podcast Network. I can't thank these, these guys enough for giving me this opportunity to get to come in here and record in this beautiful studio every week and tell the stories that I want to tell. I love it so much. Um, and I'll talk to you all next time. I'll see you all next time around the fireside. Goodbye. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.